woke up this morning, I found the house to be empty. It was strange. I seriously doubt that my family would leave for my aunt's house without me on Christmas morning. Something wasn't right. All the miscellaneously placed pictures of me that were on the walls and hearth were gone. All other photos were still in place. Another thing that struck me as odd was the fact that there were no gifts that, just last night, were meticulously put under the tree this morning. What the hell, I thought to myself. Everything is gone. Even the stuff I left for my parents. Just then I heard a low guttural growl that made me practically jump out of my skin. I quickly turned my head to see my dog baring her teeth. In a semi-defensive position, she stared at me with a terrified look in her eyes as she growled. I took a step toward her, and she ran into the other room as fast as she could. She did leave a nice piss stain on the carpet, though. Damn, I muttered under my breath. Something definitely isn't right. I walked through the house, and everything was a mess. Tables and chairs were turned over, and lamps were smashed. It looked as if a tornado went through the place. I felt like crap. I guess a good analogy would be, I felt as the house looked. I felt as if a cement truck had just hit me in the gut. I went upstairs to the bathroom to go wash myself. The smell of cigarette smoke and cheap booze filled the air. I wonder what was going on. In the bathroom, I looked in the mirror, and I must say, I looked like a picture of the living dead. I was as white as freaking sour cream. My pupils were dilated to a size I never knew was natural. It was almost as if my eyes themselves were black. Quite disconcerted, I walked through the house at a slow pace, taking my time. I noticed that my father's black suit and tie were missing. That shouldn't be anything disturbing to me, but for some reason, I couldn't shake the bad feeling that was coming from deep within my gut. As I walked down the stairs, I looked out the window and noticed that my dad's black Cadillac was missing from the driveway. So was my mom's Chrysler. I was pissed that they left me alone like this. Whatever, it was only three miles to my aunt's house. I put on my jacket and walked out the door quietly, being careful not to scare my dog more than she already was. It was a cold day, which was to be expected on a late December day in Capitol Hill, Boston, Massachusetts. There was a mass of people congregating around the junction, around three blocks away from my house. I couldn't make out any details, but I could see the outline of a black car. It had hit the side of a two-family house. The front half of the car was inside the damn living room. I had a natural aversion to things like that. So despite being worried about the driver and potential passengers, I kept moving. Nothing else seemed out of the ordinary on my walk. Just your typical Bostonian good morning, which is a bump in the shoulder and any of the several established cusses. I already arrived at my aunt's house about two hours after setting off. Yes, I took my sweet time. Looking in the window, I could see several family members, nuclear family included, piled around the table. I was mad as hell, but I took a good hard look at everyone inside. All of them had a somber look on their faces for such a joyous holiday. Each person also had a black suit or dress on. By then my anger had faded and I quietly walked through the door as opposed to bursting through it 
which is what I wanted to do at first. As soon as my foot crossed the threshold, a bright light enveloped me. I felt like I was drowning in light, and then everything went dark. When I came to, I walked out of my room, and there was still nothing under the tree. Both cars were still gone. I was more confused than when I woke up this morning. There was no way my parents would have brought me home and left me there to go back to my aunt's house. I decided to go back. Once again, I put my jacket on and left the house. I remembered that about three blocks away, there was an accident, and I figured I wouldn't be a pussy this time and check it out. The crowd was gone, and there were only two squad cars. One was on the corner, and the other was right next to the crashed car. I walked right up to the car and was disturbed by the fact that the cop, eating a donut and reading the Boston Globe, did not take notice of my presence, despite the fact that I walked right by them. I dreaded looking inside the car, and I hesitated for a few minutes. I wasn't going to let myself just walk away, even though I felt like I was going to throw up. I bent over and was horrified to see a bloody pulp of a man that looked just like me pinned into a seat by the dashboard. Blood continued to roll down his forehead. His hands still clutched the steering wheel, white knuckled, and a look of horror was still spread across his face. Rigor mortis is a beautiful thing. In the distance, I saw an ambulance cruising towards the car with lights flashing and the speakers occasionally letting out a beep or two. In a state of disbelief, I rushed around to the back of the car, only to be greeted by the Cadillac insignia. I rushed to the squad car and started yelling at the cop, hoping to get a response. None came. I ran to a nearby driveway and picked up pebbles and started throwing them at the cop's window. He suddenly sat up, alert, and he turned his head in my direction. With a quizzical look on his face, he turned his head away as if he didn't see me and went back to his donuts and morning paper. I ran as fast as I could, but I only got a few feet away when I tripped on something. As I hit the ground and lay there, as a bright white light exactly like the one from before came over me again, it all came back to me in a flash. Pulling out of the driveway, running through the red light, worried that I would be late, getting T-boned by the damn Kia, shielding my face with my hands from the shattered glass, trying to desperately gain control of the car again, going through the wall of the two-family home, being pinned to my seat by the dashboard, and finally choking on my own blood as it welled up in my lungs. When I woke up this afternoon, I found the house to be empty. It was strange. I seriously doubted my family would leave me asleep while they went to my aunt's house on Christmas Day. Something wasn't right. All the miscellaneously placed pictures of me were off the walls, and Hearth was gone. All the other photos were still in place. Another thing that struck me as odd was the fact that there were no gifts that just last night were meticulously put under the tree this morning.
black-eyed children at Christmas. Miss Delphine Smithers was an 83-year-old who lived by herself, save for her cat. Her husband passed two years prior, and her children have since grown up and left the nest. But come Christmas time, and Miss Smithers gets her joy whenever her grandchildren paid her a visit. She thought of the looks on their faces whenever she served them Christmas cookies and other pleasantries. This Christmas, she made some sweet salty bark and kept it on the kitchen table. She found herself sitting down in her favorite chair, knitting a scarf. When there came a sharp knock on the door, she jumped a bit, not expecting any visitors at the moment. Can we come in? Smithers tentatively laid the scarf on the arm of the sofa and gripped the chair. Her frail bones popped and shifted, getting up from the chair. Smithers collected her walking stick and trudged rigorously towards the front door. Another sharp knock rung out, that time more agitated than previously. I'm coming, hold on, Smithers yelled. She grasped the doorknob and turned it counterclockwise. The door creaked open. On the other end of the door were two children, a boy and a girl. The boy appeared older, presumably around 13. He wore a denim hoodie and gray pants. He was holding the hand of an eight-year-old girl who was wearing a blue dress with white lace. For whatever reason, the children had their heads bowed, looking at their feet. The boy repeated his question. Can we come in? Smithers scratched her head. It was at 10 p.m. Why would these children be at her house? at that time of night. Somehow the boy must have realized what she was thinking. We need to borrow your phone. My cell phone battery's dead. Smithers thought more about the suddenness of having these unexpected guests, but they were children regardless. At the very least, she could grant them this one request. She nodded her head, gesturing the two children in. Smithers directed them into the living room where her cat awoke from the ruckus. When it set its eyes on the two mysterious children, the cat arched its back and hissed. Smithers walked over to silence the cat. Lex, these are our guests. Behave yourself. The cat meowed in defeat before running out of the living room and into the kitchen. The two children sat on the sofa, their eyes still hidden. Smithers went into the kitchen and pulled out the plate of sweet and salty bark. She returned to the living room and bent down to the children's eye levels. Care for some sweets? The boy looked up. There was a good reason as to why he was shielding his eyes. They were devoid of color or pupils. Nothing more than pitch black nothingness. Whatever he was, he assuredly was not of the earthly realm. The girl looked up as well. Her eyes matched the cold blackness of the older boy. And yet most bizarre, Smithers smiled at the children, despite the hollow sockets that they call eyes. The children were speechless at first. They shared a puzzled glare. The girl waved her hand in front of Smithers' face, but Smithers didn't follow the path of it. They leaned in closer, realizing that Smithers' eyes were glazed over in a thin sheet of blue. She was blind. Smithers suddenly frowned. Oh, I'm sorry. 
You don't care for them. Uh, thank you, the boy said. He took a piece of the sweet and salty bark and broke it in his hand before passing the girl a piece. Their heavy teeth ground down on the sweets. Oddness aside, the two children couldn't help but bask in the sweetness and saltiness of the snack. They indulged themselves in more of the sweets before getting up. They looked at the decorations with curiosity. On top of the fireplace, on a stand, was a small replica of the nativity scene. From her mental notes, she figured that the two children had stopped at the fireplace. Isn't it such a lovely display? She asked. Do you know the story of Christmas? We know about your Jesus, the boy responded. Our ancestors spoke a lot about him. Confused by his statement, Smithers nevertheless allowed the two children to further marvel at the Christmas decorations. The girl rustled the Christmas tree, causing the ornaments to fall on the ground. She ceased when she sensed Smithers getting upset. The two children played the nutcrackers and listened to Christmas songs. The hours edged by slowly until a sudden electrical surge generated through the house. The two children looked at each other and back at Smithers. We have to go now. Our parents are here. Bright light shone through the windows. Outside was a spherical, smooth craft standing on three legs. A large, skinny-looking creature exited the craft and stood there at the door. The two children collected the plate of sweet and salty bark and exited through the front door. There came a sound of a large whistle, as if there were a thousand steam engines situated outside. Within a flash, the craft was gone. Smithers called out for the two children, only to be met by a great silence. She closed the door and returned to her knitting.